Welcome to this episode of the VO2 Lounge podcast. This is episode 27. Today's episode is going to be on concussion with a specific focus in reality on concussion within rugby, seeing as the Rugby World Cup is currently underway and we have even seen the introduction, I suppose before the World Cup, but of the bunker uh, to try and catch more of the let's call it dangerous play in relation specifically, I suppose, to um, concussion. But it's definitely something that over the past few years has become more prevalent in the game's management of it, not just at the elite level, but at the sort of uh, amateur level. Places like England rugby have brought out lowering of the tackle height. It's been trialled at various different levels and as we'll come to find out in various studies that we'll look at the results vary and there's a lot in this there's player welfare but there's also the enjoyment and the sacrifice to some extent the players are making and almost willingness to take the risk and then there's the viewership and not wanting the game to change too much but we're going to start off with world rugby's stamp Uh, for most of this episode i'm just gonna kind of assume that anyone who's got as far as clicking on this knows about rugby watches rugby and is into rugby but just in case world rugby is the world governing body essentially and on their website they have a section called uh, under medical which has concussion guidance for non-medical professionals and it essentially goes over um, what their what their standpoint is to some extent, what concussion is, um, how it can be recognised, um, how it should be managed, a player return to sport, player return to sport of different ages, so like under 18s, I think they even go into under 12s and then over 18s and like the adult game but the introduction to it as kind of uh, outlines really all you need to know from world rugby at least from a uh, their point of view and their stance on concussion now if you are a player or you have a child for example who's a player i think it's a really useful resource that doesn't take particularly long to read through. So I'd recommend take a look yourself. But World Rugby strongly recommends that all players seek the highest level of medical care available following concussion or a suspected concussion. They have a little section on concussion facts. They state that concussion is a traumatic brain injury. All concussions are serious. Uh, concussions can occur without loss or uh, of consciousness and these are kind of some of the key facts that sometimes get overlooked and how concussion at the lower down because really to some extent obviously we are conscious of the elite level and obviously the contacts can be greater but I almost to some extent feel like there can be a greater risk for con- uh, for concussions to go unseen at the lower level to some extent because you haven't got the cameras on and there's uh, it could be harder to spot it when it happens if the person hasn't clearly been uh, knocked unconscious 
Um, but the they really do just outline what to look for, how to treat it, and what currently uh, is thought to be an acceptable process of return to play. It's not incredibly detailed in saying day by day what you're doing, but it is at least a guideline, and essentially, as it states, you should really just seek medical care from a professional and the first thing you should be really doing is just no exercise for the first 24 to 48 hours and then in that process you're going to go see a medical professional now the aim of this episode really is kind of just peruse through some of the literature some studies um we'll start as far back as 2001 um just to kind of get some background as to what was going on then, at least, and you can see the common sort of trend that's going on. But the first study I'm going to look at is on the Journal of Athletic Training, and it's titled Concussion in Rugby, The Hidden Epidemic. This was published back in 2001, but it obviously is still relevant in the sense that this is referencing just concussion in general and the trends that they saw. So their general objective uh, was to determine uh, the incidence of concussion in high school rugby players and compare the findings with relevant published uh, literature. So they were using uh, one US high school rugby uh, program and then these were two uh, two teams were then followed for three years and they effectually measured the injury rate injury severity and time withheld from competition uh post or in in total i suppose um now their results were that they discovered 17 concussions uh, accounting for 25 percent of all reported injuries the incident rate of concussion was 3.8 per thousand athletes exposures uh, or 11.3 per player season per 100 player seasons sorry um, uh, of the 17 concussions uh, 14 of them were grade one two were grade two and one was grade three to clarify the grading um because I hadn't actually heard of this myself as I was reading through, but grade one um, has a dazed feeling lasting less than about a minute. So it could be that the player is removed from the field, but uh, really after they're removed from the field, it's the kind of incident that historically the player would have probably been put back on the field because they're like, look, I feel fine. Um, Grade two uh, concussion is cloudy uh, senses last longer so maybe the player is feeling off for the remainder of the game and stays off the pitch Um, loss of consciousness is then grade three considered for less than a minute and then grade four is anything longer than a minute now they concluded that the incidence of concussion in the study was higher than previously reported in other studies So they effectively just went through various different studies that themselves were in various countries. So in 1983, there was a study in South Africa, uh, Australia, 87, you again had 
South Africa and Australia, uh, 90 South Africa, 92 a New Zealand study, 94 Australian study, 95 a Scottish study, and 96 another Scottish study, and then 98 a New Zealand study. Um, now, in these studies, they are suggesting that in the study list, the maximum uh, incidence rate per 100 player seasons, the maximum found was 9.78, and that was in 1983 in Australia. Again, these are these sorry, these varied though, however, across high school age uh, and adult males, and then some of them even used mixed ages and both sexes. So there's a bit of variation across the studies, but essentially they are stating that from the studies they looked at, that these rates appeared to be uh, increasing. Uh, now, they are stating that much of the world's rugby is played in countries where there is a shortage of a medical professional it's well-trained to recognize and manage concussions. In addition, until recently, the International Rugby Board ruled that any player with a concussion must be suspended from active competition for three weeks, even for a Grade One injury that resolved within uh, that is resolved within minutes. And the effect of this rule has probably been dampened the reporting of symptoms by concussion. But sorry, by concussed players. Um, now. <laughs> They've then gone to say that as a result of these two factors, sorry, the previous factor was that uh, using data from a large high school-based rugby program in the United States, they have demonstrated that incidence of concussion in rugby is probably much higher than previously suggested because of this uh, three-week ban, essentially. And they are assuming that the incidence has been underestimated and in some cases by a wider margin. So efforts better prevent, recognize and manage these injuries need to be implemented in the game of rugby. Uh, developing accurate um, incidence data will assist us, them, I guess rugby in general, uh, in raising awareness of the problem of concussion in rugby. So this is all the way back in 2001. So clearly... The reason I have come to this study um, is because not necessarily how its validity or anything like that. I simply came to it because I read it and thought this must be recent because to me concussions. I played rugby between the ages of 10 and about 21 and for reference, I was 10 in the year 20, uh, 2009. So sorry. Yeah, 2009. So, uh, and and it didn't really seem like a big deal, concussion, in the sense of I don't really remember many people coming off. Um, and so maybe that's because of age, that people weren't, there weren't concussions. But to me, I didn't realize it was such a pressing matter, even as far back as 2001, which I found interesting because a lot of the common trends in this study, in the sense of 
what they were concerned about, the fact that it was being underreported, the fact that having a three-week ban, although in an ideal world where, you know, you have some method of measuring a concussion so you can be completely objective about it and do not rely on any subjective measurements like asking the player questions or uh, them being assessed by a medical professional who can get things wrong at the end of the day especially if the person is facing a three-week ban and is worried about their wages or being selected for the next year or whatever you know that person may deliberately or undeliberately be misleading them to some extent so um it's clearly been an issue for a while so yeah let's move on to the next study so moving into somewhat more of the not quite the present day obviously but fast forwarding almost 18 years to 2018 so 17 years um, a study titled on average a professional rugby union player is more likely than not to sustain a concussion after 25 matches which given that what a league can have 14 teams in it say I forget exactly the numbers um, so obviously you're not going to play yourself so 26 games I mean, it's essentially saying that you're more likely than not to have one concussion each game. Now, the objectives they set out was to investigate concussion injury rates and the likelihood of sustaining concussion relative to the number of rugby union matches and the risk of subsequent injuries following a concussion. These are not necessarily concussive injuries, just injuries in general. Um, the method that they used was a four season so 2012 13 and 2015-16 a prospective cohort study of injuries in professional level club and international rugby union um, incidents injuries per hundred sorry per thousand player match hours severity days lost per injury and the number of professional massive uh, matches conferring a large risk of concussion were determined the risk of injury following concussion was then assessed using a survival model now they concluded that concussion incidents increase uh, sorry increased while severity remained unchanged during four years of the study playing more than 25 matches in 2015 2016 season meant that sustaining concussion was more likely than not sustaining a concussion and the 38% greater injury risk after concussion uh, after a concussive injury compared with non-concussive injury suggests that return to play protocols warrant investigation so essentially what they have done here is over the course of four seasons assessed the rate of concussions and then also wanted to know whether the after a concussive injury, whether you are at greater risk of further injury um, in comparison to sustaining a non-concussive injury and returning to play. Essentially meaning that if it is great, you're at greater risk, then 
more needs to be done because currently the non-concussive injury return to play protocols are more effective in returning the player to sport um, than the protocols for concussive injuries. Now as we go through the study you effectively get to various figures that outline essentially what's going on. Um, I'll put the study below and I'll sort of, I'll put them in order of where I've spoken about them essentially so when I mention a new study you can just open the next one along and if you're listening and, uh, and not sat down as I imagine most people are not listening to this and you know got their pen and paper or whatever and able to look at these studies but essentially um, they plotted the match injury incidence of concussion in club international rugby combined across four seasons and it's essentially just going up um, year on year uh, they plot a table that splits out club rugby and international rugby showing international rugby is consistently higher but at the same time that club rugby there are also uh, incidences but that all both of these are trending upwards um, they then go into uh, detail about the hazard ratio between injuries following the concussion versus following a non-concussive injury split up by uh, body region um, such as head and neck, upper limb, uh, abdomen, chest and back, pelvic region, so on and so on, uh, and highlight the fact that a across various of these body parts, if not all, some of them they were less confident in it fitting, uh, well, some of them they had lower confidence on, however, all of them there was an increased risk um for whatever reason uh there was a twofold increase in pelvic region so like buttock and groin following a and this is all is worth noting that some of these for example uh, like the head and neck upper limb pelvic region lower limb getting an injury and then coming back to play there was still an increase in uh, the likelihood of being injured again but for example in the lower limb there was a 20% increased chance right of the occurrence whereas in comparison after a concussive injury there is a uh, 200 sorry yeah a 100 and 10% increase in the chance of so rather than the hazard ratio being uh, 1.6 uh, sorry 1.21 it's now 2.1 versus obviously the baseline of zero I suppose you could say but they outline the fact that concussive injuries across various different body parts um, seem, to, seem to show on average, a 48% increase in uh, risk of injury again versus generic uh, injuries. Now, 
they outline the limitations in the study. And I think it's important to go over the limitations because they help understand the limitations in assessing this in general in the current day. Um, now, in this incidence, they had a small number of teams involved in the study, and that is a crucial limitation. You don't have a large sample across. Ideally, you'd have the whole uh, championship, or you just have multiple championships, for example, to truly assess this. But obviously, there's more cost, there's more legwork, and so on. They do state, though, that the injury data was checked every month of every season, uh, minimizing the number of incomplete injury records. And additionally, by tracking international players from clubs to the national team, they have provided the first subsequent injury analysis in professional sport that has included all time loss injuries sustained by a player, regardless of when it occurred. Um, and then they just go on to conclude that uh, rugby union players are more likely than not to sustain a concussion after 25 matches doesn't mean when you now these probability things it doesn't mean that 25 matches on the 26th you're going to get a concussion or it or that you only are going to get one there will be people who do 50 matches and don't get a single concussion but there'll also be people who do five and get three hopefully not but you see this is just giving an idea that on average every 25 games you're becoming that is the point at which you're susceptible on average for a concussion and that if you've had a concussion you should be aware that there is a higher probability that you sustain one a subsequent injury versus um, non-concussive. Now, why this is, it, does, it they state that they are, they're unsure, um, but at least it's a step in the right direction, and that from here, you would hope there are some... It weighs on the guidelines of return to play, essentially. Now, coming on to... What is really, what is actually present in various forms of the game, I believe in France and in England, they've lowered the uh, tackle height. Now, a 2019 study titled, Does Reducing the Height of the Tackle Through Law Change in Elite Men's Rugby Union? Um, in this specific instance, it's the Rugby Championship in England, which is tier two so you got the prem and then you got the championship reduce the incidence of concussion uh, a controlled study in 126 games so the objectives were that most concussions in rugby union occur during the tackle that's what they've identified um, they investigated whether legislation to lower maximum tackle height would change tackle behavior and reduce concussion incidence rate. Um, the method used is um, an observational evaluation using a prospective cohort design of 12 elite men's teams played in two competitions during the 2018-29 season. The championship 90 games in total retained 
standard laws of rugby for the tackle and the championship cup which is 36 games uh, used a revised laws the maximum tackle height was lowered from the line of the shoulders on the ball carrier to a line of the armpit so not really a major change um, we're only we're really not talking much but it sort of it gets it gives you a bit more slipping room i suppose for the tackler until they're effectively making contact uh, with the head um, now their results found that the lower tackle height setting there was a significant lower proportion of tackles in which ball carriers um, and tacklers were upright in which the tackler's initial contact was to the ball's carrier head or neck and in which initial contact was above the line of the ball carrier's armpit so the concussion incidence ratio did not differ between uh, conditions unexpected yeah then unexpectedly compared with the standard tackle height setting tacklers in the lower tackle height setting were themselves concussed at a higher rate as measured um, by incidence so interestingly somewhat i suppose what you'd maybe not what you'd expect but the tackler became sorry the tackle the person being tackled became safer because the tackler is away from their head but I suppose because the other tackle is now lower, they're coming into contact maybe with knees or something else. But we'll get into that in a minute because to me, moving from the shoulder line to the armpit line isn't really drastic enough. I could understand if they moved it to like maybe below the rib um, or even lower, like they said you had to hit the hips. At that point, then fair enough, but it's still pretty high up the body. Um, so we'll get into that. But their conclusions were uh, legislating the lower to lower the height of the tackle meant that tacklers made contact with the ball carrier's head and neck 30% less often than prior. Um, this did not influence concussion incidence rates, however, and tacklers in the lower tackle height setting suffered more concussions uh, than did tacklers in the standard tackle height setting. So, taking a moment to have a closer look at the study, I mean, it's quite thorough in the fact that they have um, analysed the tackle characteristics. So, they have... Uh, broken them up into one-player tackles, two-player tackles, three-player tackles, tackle types. They've got active shoulder, passive shoulder, tap tackles, smooth tackles, like lift illegal, no arms illegal, high tackle illegal, tackle in the air, also illegal, tackle direction, body position. They're really, uh, I think it's a good way to approach it in the sense that if you start off with more buckets in a way than you think you need then you can always kind of consolidate at the end i suppose but um they then game uh went into game events expressed uh per uh, game and broke them up obviously into the championship with the standard tackle height and the championship cup with the lower tackle height um and a sort of assessed like the amount of time ball is in play ball out of play uh carries like total carries tackle events uh, total tackles 
the number of passes, offloads, steal attempts, rucks, lineouts, scrums. Because essentially what you're doing here as well is you don't want to... Part of what the argument is with all of all this law changes and introduction of changing of the tackles, people get concerned that the game is going to change too much. Um, which it would if you completely eliminated contact because that's what the sport's all about to some extent. Um, but a secondary th characteristic thought, key point, I don't know how you want to put it, but essentially is that the change in the tackle could have an uh, impact on how the game uh, is played to some extent. Um, carries you want to assess because I suppose if you're seeing greater uh, concussions in say the championship um, for example they are stating that there's 202 versus 187 in the championship cup then if you saw less concussions in the championship cup relative to the number uh, as in uncorrected for the number of contacts made then that could be pointing you into why maybe there was less concussions. Uh, passes, offloads. For example, offloads seemed to be unchanged, but you would think that maybe if you lower the tackle height enough to the point where you can no longer smother the ball in the tackle, then it promotes offloads and um, greater dynamics to the game. You'd see less rucks, which funnily enough... Even though there were identical offloads, fewer passes in the Championship Cup, um, there were also fewer rucks that sort of didn't align to carries and tackles. So I don't know what was quite going on there, but it, I suppose maybe if I went further into it, but it confused me a little bit. But essentially, it's somewhat trended in the direction you would have thought, but didn't. It wasn't really a great enough deviation for it to be obvious. I suppose they also then, in within those tackle characteristics, they obviously uh, outlined what the averages were with the change and prior to the change. So. As you uh, would sort of expect, the carrier body position also changed. Um, likely because in response to the tackler being in a slightly different position. So, for example, um, there's 25 incidences of an upright tackler. There's 20 in the, uh, the cup, so with the lowered tackle heights. Uh, partially bent, greater number, and then fully bent, greater number, and then tackler diving. This remained essentially the same, which if you think in the game, the point where you're diving is essentially by the line when you're making tiny amounts of ground. And that's not really affected by tackle height because it's not even really a tackle. It's more just of a, you eye up a point in the ground dive to it to ensure that the person with the ball doesn't gain too much ground 
doing their dive tackle, their dive um, for the line, essentially. They're not really tackles in the same way. So that kind of all makes uh, sense. And then the initial point of contact uh, on the ball carrier, uh, head and neck was lowered, shoulder and armpit uh, also was lowered. That was greater to the torso, um, greater to the upper leg. And very similar in the lower leg because again tap tackle maybe which is somewhat unaffected by tackle height um, so all trending in the expected direction um, same for the uh, initial point of contact um, it was overall lower so you just think, imagine that zone, that tackle zone, if you had like a red box around a tackler, it's all just being, it's basically being shifted down. So you haven't got a massive increase in like tackling of the legs because, or and dive tackles because they were irrelevant to tackle height anyway. Um, they have some graphs showing it's kind of a little bit sporadic. There's seems to be a round where there was a particularly high number of concussions in one round of uh, the championship cup, which I look at wondering, is it a, is this an erroneous result? Because then that overall uh, lifts the reduced tackle height on average above the standard law now. If we're going any further, we'll just the conclusions they made was reducing the maximum height of the legal tackle from the line of the shoulder to the line of the armpit in elite men's rugby resulted in a desired change in player behaviour. Ball carriers entered contact partially bent, and tacklers entered at contact fully bent at the waist for uh, more frequently. However, overall concussion incidents did not decrease. And in the tacklers, both concussion incidents and uh, propensity increase significantly. A better understanding of the interaction between ball carrying and tackle behavior is needed to inform future trials of more context-specific and game-specific strategies to reduce concussion. Now, the limitations they have highlighted in their uh, study was that the observational design employed does not allow control over other elements that may change player behavior over time, such as the weather and ground conditions, which is incredibly prevalent in the UK, of course. I've added that, but very prevalent. Um, the time and the season and the playing squad selected for matches. In particular, the relative importance placed on two competitions in the study, and consequently, playing squad selected may have influenced the tackle skill of the players. In addition, concussion incidence rates were 20% higher in the post-law variation than pre-law variation periods, despite the application of standard laws relating to tackle height in both periods. Um, now, this might reflect changes in reporting due to greater focus on concussion for this study. Um, now, future studies should involve stakeholders, i.e. players, coaches and referees more closely and provide a longer uh, preparatory period. Now, I think that this the limitations here of this study kind of highlight where the issue somewhat lies. On one hand, you have in general recording of 
concussions will have been going up over the last 10 years because there is more awareness. And so if you look for something harder, you are going to find more of it. If I go into my garden and never look for, if my garden's on a gold mine and I never dig in my garden, I'm never going to find gold. If I start digging uh, more frequently, I'm going to find lots of gold, am I not? So it's somewhat of a case of what you're looking for, you are going to find. This is not to say that that is 100% the case. Now with this incidence of the concussion rates not really changing, and if anything getting worse towards the tackler, that kind of to me just highlights the fact that maybe this change was made sort of quickly and the teams had not identified the changes and that the possibly there's just musculature in the players and uh, coordination that isn't developed yet to tackle in this way. And really maybe it just highlights that there needs to be not only a law change but a protocol change in the clubs of how they are uh, managing tackling, tackling techniques, avoiding more upright tackling, and maybe there's some strength and conditioning that goes into it. Maybe there is a a postural change that will allow for these tackles to be made at the lower height, eliminate the tackler uh, increase in concussion rate, and therefore improve the overall safety of of the game really so where does this leave us then well i suppose it leaves us with an opportunity for me to cast some personal anecdote and what i think what i think of all of it really i i used to play the sport played the sport for about 10 years um and i don't know while i was in and amongst it in the depths of it didn't really care that much I never got knocked unconscious. That's not to say I never had a concussion, because I don't know. Because concussions, as stated by World Rugby, do not require you to be rendered unconscious. So there is an element of me in my post-rugby playing life where I wonder what possible damage could have been caused. But there's the element of how much it means to the players really it's just such there's such a bond created over the fact that there is contact involved which is a double-edged sword because on one end it's such a fulfilling experience and there's nothing that feels better than winning in rugby really it's one of the greatest feelings but because of the fact that you are putting your body up there against another probably reasonably large individual and it also means that if you do get a head knock you don't want to put your hand up and say oh i think i need to come off especially at the uh, non-elite level where you've got three substitutes maybe i'm too far removed and maybe now there is greater number but at least when i was playing there was only three substitutes which I suppose help with uh, prevented clubs from buying up players effectively and having enormous benches. But 
it is that it is what it is, really. And I think it's going to definitely be a hard one to solve. In an ideal world, you have ages to solve it, but there's already cases that come up of people with CTE and the destructive nature uh, of it. I mean, the Open Uni um, has an article that, again, I will link down below. Um, that that kind of has some player um, thoughts in there. So they've stated that one player prone to injury was uh, Shantane Hape. Former England... I really do apologize. I'm not very great at reading names. But a former England centre who gave his point of view on concussion in rugby and said how players are regularly pressured to return quickly from head injuries and claims that they routinely uh, cheated cognitive tests designed to monitor their brain function throughout the season. And the former England centre admitted he'd been concussed close to 20 times in his career and said his condition got so bad he couldn't remember his PIN number and also left with depression, constant migraines and memory loss. Uh, there are many players like Hape whose careers end abruptly from concussion. Um, and then research conducted in England in 2018-2019 seasons has shown that 20% of professional rugby players sustained at least one match concussion. Now, it's it's statements like that where you just hear and you feel for the person. Um, but at the same time, if they had been... I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. If they had been told the risk up front, would they have played on? I don't know. And I think we're in a good spot at the moment in the sense that that risk is now incredibly clear to people. So if the decision needs to be made, the decision is there. The question now lies, how do you get to a point where the risk can be mitigated uh, adequately to make the sport as safe as it can be, but that there are, there's a certain element that will remain there will always be the risk unless it becomes touch which at which point you do lose the sport that you that many of people love and with that this brings us to the end of the episode for more content like this explore my previous episodes and consider following rating and sharing the podcast sharing the podcast is the greatest way to help spread uh, and grow the show Share your thoughts um, or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, it's goodbye.